Welcome to Victory Christian Center's audio podcast. We hope this message encourages you, and we look forward to connecting with you on social media or FCCFMD.com. Conference 
and we did that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, no, sorry, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday evening, we went to a church called Living Marsh International Fellowship Church, and we did services there, and took turns preaching each night, uh, took turns teaching in the morning, and then Friday, where did we go Friday? We had the commencement ceremony. It was amazing. You'll see the Prime Minister of Education and the Prime Minister of Youth Affairs conducted the opening and the closing ceremonies for the Youth Empowerment Week, and it was just overwhelmingly humbling to be considered such a guest of honor in this country to just share what the Lord put on my heart. And I was very blessed to be able to preach on Sunday morning in Yonde, the uh, Living, Word or Living Word Fellowship International Church, and where one young man received the Lord. So I went three, over 3,000 miles for one young man to receive the Lord. I'm so thankful that at least one person came to know the Lord. Yes. But many people were impacted by our ministry and given hope. On Saturday, we went over a four-hour drive from Yonde to Bafusum, which is a college town, and there land had been donated to Step International, the organization that I was partnering with on this trip, to build a school of leadership, to build a college. And so we were there for the groundbreaking, and we were, again, treated as guests of honor and able to um, just bring hope to this little village of Fogum and uh, let the people know that there are other people around the world who love them and want to see them become better equipped and enabled to um, improve not only their spiritual state, but their economic state and their living, um, giving them opportunities that didn't exist before. And finally, I was able to go to Douala on Sunday afternoon after I preached in the church. And there I met up with a friend who um, conducts women's conferences. And we were able to talk Monday evening about going back in March. She is from Liberia but she and her husband are missionaries to Cameroon. So we talked about doing women's conferences uh, during International Women's Day in March, and we'll be going to uh, Cameroon and Liberia both conducting conferences in, in March of 23. So I'm just super excited at how God showed me every step of the way. He coordinated these connections with people that have the same heart and the same passion that I have. And then he also taught me to <laughs> what it means to really be humble, <laughs> humble before him and humble before the people who were just so honoring, and it was such a privilege to be there. I hope you enjoy this short little video clip that just shows a little bit of what we were able to um, take part in.
sharing that with us this morning. So we are continuing the series. I feel really close to you guys today. We are continuing the series that we've started on the building blocks of our faith, talking about the 16 fundamental truths of the assemblies of God. And so we've had a, a Bible verse each week. We've had some scripture memory every week so far. So we've had two verses so far throughout our series. So we're going to see how much you remember of your Bible verse for last week. I don't have my helper today, but I do have some candy for you. So I'll put it out there after service if you have your verse memorized. Can anybody tell me where that verse was found from last week? Revelation 1.8. Revelation 1.8. And what was it that Jesus said in Revelation 1.8? He said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty, the Almighty. We've looked at three of the 16 fundamental truths so far. We began with the scriptures inspired. Then we moved on to the one true God. And we talked about the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to take a look at the fourth and fifth fundamental truth. So if you're taking notes on your sheet, the fourth fundamental truth is the fall of man. The fall of man. This takes us all the way back to the beginning. All the way back to the book of Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. Scripture says that then God said, let us 
make man in our image. Who is he referring to? We talked about this the other week. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Read the next part with me. What does it say? Male and female, he created them. So God created this beautiful paradise, right? He created this beautiful garden. It was the perfect habitat. But as any parent or any caregiver... He knew that he had to set some boundaries. Because if you have children of any age, you know that you've got to set some boundaries. Because what happens if you don't set boundaries? They just go crazy. Even as adults, we need boundaries, don't we? Because we have a tendency to go a little crazy sometimes. And so you set out boundaries for them because you love them. And because you want to protect them. Because you want the best for them. My son is always complaining. Why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? That's not fair. You're so mean. And then he goes on and on and on and on, right? So if you have kids, you understand why, why, why? And what he doesn't understand is that it's for his own good, for his own protection. No matter how much you try to tell him it's for his own good, no matter how much you try to tell him it's because you love him, he just doesn't get it. And maybe one day, should Jesus tarry, if he has his own children, he'll understand, right? But God set up those boundaries in the garden because he loved Adam, because he wanted to protect him. And it was pretty basic because this garden had anything that Adam could have wanted. It had anything that he could ever need. There was just one stipulation, and we find that stipulation in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. You can follow along with me on the screen. It says, then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. And then in verse 18, the Lord God said, it's what? It's not good for a man to be alone. So I will make a helper suitable for him. And so here we have Adam and Eve living in this garden paradise. And scripture says, along comes one more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field. And so the serpent comes along to talk to Eve. Now I want you to take note of a couple of things here. The serpent comes to talk to her and uses the very words of God to do what? To question the very words of God. Remember when Jesus was fasting in the wilderness for 40 days, what was it that Satan used when he came to tempt him? He used the word of God. The same tactics that he used on Eve in the garden. This is why it is so important that you and I study scripture and why I cannot stress to you the importance and why it is so critical that you hide God's word in your heart. Because like the thief that Jesus refers to, the enemy comes to do what? To steal, 
kill, and destroy. And that's exactly what he did in the Garden of Eden. But friends, he didn't stop in Eden. He's using the same old tactics today on you and I. And you better believe that one day, if he hasn't already, he's going to come along to tempt you the same way that he tempted Eve. And if you know the Word of God, then he's going to use the Word of God to make you question the Word of God. So you have to know the Word inside and out. So he questions Eve. He says, what, why can't you eat from this? And she says, we can eat whatever we want but from this tree because if we eat it, we're going to die. And then what does he do? He assures her, listen, it's going to be okay. God just doesn't want you to eat it because you're going to be just like him if you do. Take a look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. It says that when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, notice she saw it. It was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes. And it was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. You know, I think it's so interesting. A lot of times when we see illustrations of Eve being tempted by the serpent, we see Eve by herself, right? And she's there ready to pluck the fruit from the tree. But scripture says that Adam was there. He was with her. Her husband was beside her. And he takes a lot of flack, doesn't she, for for taking the fruit. I, I saw a meme the other day that said women have such a hard time deciding on where to go out to eat because the first time they made the decision, it doomed all of humanity, right? Because Eve, Eve made that choice, right? And so Eve takes a lot of flack for causing the fall. But I look at Adam and say, Adam, what's wrong with you? Why didn't you stop her? Why didn't you tell her, no, we can't have that, right? And so we see three things in this verse. They were both to blame. See three things in this verse pertaining to the fall of man. And it's the same three things that catch you and I off guard today and send us down the wrong path. The first thing that we see if you're taking notes is the lust of the flesh. Eve's thinking, hey, this is going to taste really good. Scripture says she saw that it was good for food. Right? The second thing we see is the lust of the eyes. It looks pleasing. It looks good. Scripture says it was a delight to the eyes. And then the third thing is the pride of life. Hey, this is going to make me better. This is going to make me better than everybody else. It was desirable to make one wise. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And friends, those three areas will get you in trouble every single time. Because Satan's not going to tempt you with something that's not appealing to you. He's not going to dangle something in front of you that's not going to catch your attention. He's not going to tempt you with something that you're not attracted to. Because he knows exactly how to trap you. And that's why the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians to put on what? The whole armor of God so that you are able to withstand all of the fiery darts of the devil. Scripture says that we wrestle not against what? Against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers of the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's why 1 Peter 5, 8 says to be sober and to be vigilant because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion he walketh about seeking whom he may devour you can jump over to Revelation chapter 
And scripture says they overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And the only way that you and I are going to escape temptation is by the blood of Jesus, the word of God, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me this morning? So Adam and Eve sinned. And they do what's wrong in the eyes of the Lord. They disobey. And I want you to notice what happens. The serpent kind of disappears for a little while, doesn't he? He disappears for, from the narrative for a brief period of time and leaves Adam and Eve with what? With guilt. With shame. He entices them. He tempts them. He traps them. And then he's gone. And they're left with shame. And so they cover themselves with fig leaves and they hide. Isn't that what shame makes us do? It makes us hide, makes us isolate ourselves, try to hide what's going on because we're too ashamed to deal with it. We're too ashamed to confront it. We don't want anybody else to know what's going on. And so God calls for Adam and he addresses the fact that they've been disobedient. He informs them of the curse that's now upon them. Isn't that what you do with your kids or your grandkids? You let them know what they did, then you let them know why it was wrong, and you let them know the consequences for their actions, right? And so I, I, I can't imagine being in Adam and Eve's shoes in this moment. They know they've done something wrong. They know they've gone against what God told them they couldn't do. But now the result of their actions is a curse for the rest of humanity. Can you imagine that weight that must have been on their shoulders? But then God in his love doesn't leave them in that state. Amen. Scripture says that he makes garments of skin for them he doesn't banish them from this place in their shame. He covers them. He clothes them just as he covers us. And because God is a holy God, he cannot be in the presence of sin. And it is our sin that separates us from God. But because he is a relational God, he didn't want to be separated from us. He wanted to be in fellowship with us just as he was in fellowship with Adam and walked with him in the cool of the day. I often wonder what those conversations must have been like. What those times must have been like for Adam just to walk alone with God in the cool of the day. No distractions, no kids, no cell phones ringing, no emails to get back to, no boss hounding on you, when's this project going to be finished, right? No bills to pay, just walking with God in the cool of the day. Reminds me of the old hymn that says, he walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me what? I am his own. There was a little boy who came into church one Sunday. Man, he was so excited. He ran right up to the front of the church and he said, Pastor, guess what I figured out? He said, I just figured out what God's name is. And the pastor said, what do you mean you figured out what God's name is? He said, Pastor, God's name's Andy. And the pastor was so confused. He just couldn't figure out what the little boy was talking about. He said, well, how did you come to that conclusion? How did you figure out that's what God's name was? He said, Pastor, we sing it every Sunday. And he walks with me and he talks with me. Amen. But in all seriousness, our sinfulness 
separates us from God. The book of Romans tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we recognize this as the fourth fundamental truth, the fall of man. And the result of the fall is both physical and spiritual death, which leads us right into the fifth fundamental truth. So if you're taking notes, that fifth truth is the salvation of man. We have the fall, but then, hallelujah, we have salvation. In the assemblies of God, we have 16 fundamental truths. And from those 16 truths, we derive our four core doctrines. So if you're taking notes, you can jot down those four core doctrines. The first of which is salvation. How many of you are thankful for your salvation today? The second is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The third, divine healing. And the fourth, the second coming of Christ. Aren't you excited for that day? Yeah. Salvation, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, divine healing, and the second coming of Christ. And so the fifth fundamental truth and the first core doctrine is salvation, the salvation of man. And so Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, which just so happens to be this week's verse, you can jot down in your notes. It says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. How many of you are thankful for the grace of God that appeared to you? We all need grace, don't we? We each have a measure of grace because the Lord knew how much extra grace he's going to have to pour into our lives. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. You may have heard it said before that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. You see, salvation comes through repentance. And the idea behind that word repentance is the idea of turning away from something. You realize you've been going one direction, but it's the wrong way. you got to turn around and head the other way. So you turn from your sin. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. And so part of that confession is admitting that we are sinful by nature and that it is only the grace of God that can save us. Scripture says what? For it is by grace that you are saved through faith that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast. Redemption friends is the only thing that leads us to salvation because Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life. We sang about it this morning. He said, no one can come to the Father except through me. But Jesus also said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Right? And if any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. He is there waiting for you to open your heart to receive his salvation. I've always found this illustration to be one of the best pictures of God's redeeming power. Because Jesus went to the cross to bridge the gap so that you and I could come back into fellowship with Almighty God. He went to Calvary's cross in your place. And as I was reading through, rereading through the story of the fall of man this week, I thought of something. I thought, you know what? I think it was the Holy Spirit that dropped it in my heart that it started and ended with a tree. 
It started with a tree of temptation and it ended with a tree of righteousness. Aren't you thankful for the cross today? Aren't you thankful for what Jesus paid for on Calvary? He went there in our place because it was only a spotless lamb that could pay the penalty for our sin. And John the Baptist, the forerunner for Christ, said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Scripture says that Jesus was tempted in all ways as we are, and yet he was without sin. Only Jesus could satisfy the wrath of God. And so maybe today is the day that you need to make your heart right before God. Scripture tells us that the wages, the payment, the penalty for our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Scripture also says that today is the day of salvation. And friends, I encourage you to not leave this place today without knowing for sure where you will spend eternity. You may have walked through these doors for the first time. You may have walked through these doors every single day of your life. But just because you've entered the doors of the church does not mean you're going to enter through the pearly gates. It requires something on your heart. My pastor growing up always used to say, we're only one heartbeat away from a devil's hell. You've got to make the choice. Where are you going to spend eternity? Because something happens when you and I accept Jesus and the grace that he so freely offers to us. There should be a noticeable change in our lives. And that change takes time. But first of all, there should be an internal evidence that we have accepted Jesus as our Lord. We read in Romans chapter 8 and verse 16, Scripture says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are what? Children of God. Scripture says that it's in Him that we live and move and have our being. Not only is there an internal evidence where we begin thinking differently, but there's also an external evidence. Because after a while, people should be able to tell that there's a change in our lives because we're not talking the way we used to. We're not going the places that we used to go. We're not doing the things that we used to do because the grace of God changes us. Yeah. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 that says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I've taken off the old self and I've put on the new self that I've gained by the grace of God. Amen. There should be an inward and an outward evidence of our salvation. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 24, Scripture says to put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. This takes us right back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. We were created in the image and the likeness of God. And so once we've accepted him and his forgiveness, we need to walk in it. We put on the new self, walking in righteousness and holiness of truth. We've been created in his image and his likeness, so we should be reflecting it, right? Let's go back to our verse 
for this week and see what you can remember so far. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11 says what? says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Aren't you thankful that God opened your eyes to see his grace and his salvation? I want to look at verse 12 of that same chapter. Scripture says, the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Why has the grace of God been revealed to us? Why has the salvation been revealed to us? So that we can reflect that truth living in our new self to the world around us. So that the faith and that grace and that salvation that we've received can attract people in the world around us and say, I want what she's got. I want what they have. I need that change. I need that transformation in my life. It should be evident in our lives living soberly, righteously, and godly in the present world. So let's recap for a moment. The first fundamental truth, the scriptures what? Do you remember what it was? The scriptures inspired. The second, the one true God. The third, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Fourth, the fall of man. Fifth, the salvation of man. Now I'm really going to test you and see what verses you can remember. The first week, your scripture was found in second what? Second Timothy 3.16. And second Timothy 3.16 tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for for correction, for in righteousness. Good job. The next one from last week was found in his book. Revelation, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8. He recited it first thing this morning. Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Aren't you thankful for that truth this morning? He was, he is, and he is to come. He loved us so much that he revealed his grace to us through his salvation, through the death of Jesus, his one and only son on Calvary's cross for us. Aren't you thankful for that promise today? I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a long time. But today you need to say, Lord, I need you to change my life. Because I haven't been walking the way that I know that I should. I haven't put off the old self. I need you to come and purify my heart. If that's you today, wherever you are, every head bowed and every eye closed, just slip up your hand and say, Lord, I need you to help me put on the new self. I need to walk in righteousness and holiness. I need you to purify my life today. Slipping up your hand just says, God, I surrender. I surrender to you today.
Maybe you're here. Maybe you've tuned in this morning. You've never surrendered your heart to Jesus. But today you want to say the word. I recognize the state that my life is in. So today I want to surrender my heart and my life to you. To come into my life. To forgive me of my sins. Believe that you went to Calvary in my place. And three days later, you rose with my victory in your hands. To take control of my life today. Friends, if you pray that prayer, God welcomes you into his family with open arms. And we rejoice with you. So this morning, the altar is open. Maybe you're here this morning and you just need some strength. Maybe you need just somebody to come and wrap their arms around you and pray with you today. one of our men to come and stand and proxy this morning for Bob. Bob was taken to the hospital this week and he's just really struggling. So I'm going to ask one of our men to come and stand. I'm going to ask the rest of you if you would come and stand around him. Just believe for God's healing. We serve a miracle working God. We know that he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Just going to believe that God's going to touch his body. He's going to remove any fluid. He's going to remove any blood clots that are there in Jesus' name. Father, we trust you today. And so, Lord, today we put him into your hands. God, we trust you because you are the great physician. We know that there is nothing that is impossible for you. Jesus, it is by your stripes that we are healed. And so, Father, I pray from the top of his head down to the soles of his feet that, Lord, you would touch his body even now. Father, even as we pray, Lord, we stand in faith, believing for your healing this morning in Jesus' name. God, I pray that you would astound the doctors. That God, you would work a miracle in here today. Father, we speak to every blood clot. Infection that might be present, Lord, whatever it is there, Lord, would you remove it in Jesus' name? Father, would you give his body strength? We trust you, Lord. You are our healer. Father, we put him in your hands this morning. 
Father, I ask that you strengthen Sharon as she cares for him. That God, you'll hold her up. Encourage her heart. That God, you remind her of your truth and your promise. Father, we thank you today for your faithfulness. We know that you've heard us. We know that you answer us.
Thank you for listening to Victor Christian Center's audio podcast. We look forward to connecting with you on our social media or at FCCFND.com.